Welcome to Northgate Christian Fellowship's weekly message series. And now, here is Senior Pastor Ken Jensen. The Gospel of John, chapter 9. If you want to follow along, it's on page 1061 in your Bibles there that we provided for you in the, in the uh, pews. Or, you don't have pews, in the seats. You want to follow along with me. John 9, verse 1. As he went along, he saw a man that was blind from birth. His disciples asked him, Rabbi, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? Neither this man nor his parents sinned, said Jesus. This happened so that the work of God might be displayed in his life. As long as it is day, we must do the work of him who sent me. Night is coming when no one can work. While I am in the world... I am the light of the world. Having said this, he spit on the ground, made some mud with the saliva and put it on the man's eyes. Go, he told him, wash in the pool of Siloam. This word means scent. So the man went and washed and came home seeing. His neighbors and those who had formerly seen him begging asked, isn't this the same man who used to sit and beg? Some claimed that he was. Others said, no, he only looks like him. But he himself insisted, I am that man. How then are your eyes open, they demanded. He replied, the man they called Jesus made some mud and put it on my eyes. He told me to go to Siloam and wash. So I went and washed and then I could see. Where is this man, they asked him. I don't know, he said. They brought brought to the Pharisees the man who had been blind. Now in that day that Jesus had made the mud and opened the man's eyes was a Sabbath. Therefore, the Pharisees also asked him how he had received his sight. He put mud on my eyes, the man replied, and I washed, and now I see. Some of the Pharisees said, this man is not from God because he does not keep the Sabbath. But others asked, how can a sinner do such miraculous signs? So they were divided. Finally, they turned again to the blind man. What have you to say about him? It was your eyes he opened. The man replied, he's a prophet. The Jews still did not believe that he had been blind and received his sight until... That, so they sent for the man's parents. Is this your son, they asked? Is this the one you say was born blind? How is it now he can see? We know he's our son, the parents answered. And we know he was born blind. But how he can see now or who opened his eyes, we don't know. Ask him. He's of age. He will speak for himself. His parents said this because they were afraid of the Jews, for they were... For already the Jews had decided that anyone who acknowledged that Jesus was the Christ would be put out of the synagogue. That's why his parents said, he's of age, ask him. So a second time they summoned the man who had been blind. Give glory to God, they said. We know this man is a sinner. He replied, whether he's a sinner or not, I don't know. One thing I do know, I was blind, now I see. There is probably, quite possibly, no other aspect of Jesus' life and ministry that raises more questions for us these days than his healing miracles. It's probably the one aspect of his, of his ministry that just raises all kinds of questions. And this particular account of a healing of a man that had been born blind raises more questions probably than any. In fact, it certainly raised a lot more questions for those who were there at the time. Who's at fault? Why is this man blind? Was it he who sinned or was it his parents? And the neighbors, when they see him, isn't this the man who was born blind? Isn't this the guy that used to sit begging by the gate? 
No, no, he's not the man. He's only, he only looks like him. And they go to him, weren't you blind? How is it that you now see? Who did this for you? They go to his parents. Is this your son? Was he not born blind? How is it that now he sees? Who did this? Where is he? How did this all happen? Question after question after question. And when it comes to healings, we probably have a few questions of our own. I know I do. If God heals, then why do so many people still remain sick? Can we really believe contemporary experiences of healing that we're told about? Can we believe those kinds of stories? And why is it that some seem to be healed and others who seem more deserving of healing are not? Then, of course, there is the great question. Why is it that those who seem to have healing gifts have to be so weird about it? <laughs> why do they have to go on TV and wear those weird clothes? I mean, polyester is so out, you know. That's the real question. There is no getting around the fact of Jesus' ministry that healing was a very, very big part of what he did in his life on this earth. 20% of the gospel accounts, at minimum, 20% of it is about healing miracles. Jesus modeled healing. He taught his disciples about healing. When John the Baptist had been arrested and was in prison and was wondering if Jesus was the Messiah that he had been talking about or was there somewhere else to come. And he sent his disciples to ask Jesus this question. Jesus in turn said, go back to John and tell him this. The blind see, the lame walk, the deaf hear. And the good news is being preached about the kingdom of God. He saw that as the authentication of his ministry here. It fostered faith. And moved people to belief. And after Jesus had gone back into heaven, it continued to be the pattern of the first century church. That healing was a big part of it. Now, when it comes to today, there seems to be two extremes of the argument. There are those who say, it is not for today. That was all a part of a dispensation centuries ago. And we can't expect any of that to happen in this day and time. With which I disagree. <laughs> And there is the other extreme that says there should be no sickness. God doesn't intend for anybody to ever suffer sickness ever. And if you are sick, it is only a matter that you do not have enough faith, which I also do not describe to. <laughs> Those seem to be the two extremes. There is a lot about healing we don't understand. And I will confess to you this morning, there is a lot about it I do not comprehend. But in our search for Jesus, which is what this whole series is about, as we look at his life and ministry, we have to take a look at this and hopefully find some answers to some of those questions. And I think there are some answers for us because I do believe that God has called his church and his people and his community, members of his kingdom, to be the extension of his kingdom work in this world. And he said, while it is day, we must do the work of him who sent me. And I think part of that kingdom work that he has called us to includes extending the healing grace of God. So how do we do that? How does that come about? Well, there's some things that his disciples needed to learn and some things that we, his 21st century disciples, need to learn about it as well. And I think there are some things that Jesus was teaching his followers and 
in them also teaching us about this whole idea of Jesus, a compassionate healer. And for us, I think it starts with learning to nurture a compassionate heart. A remarkable characteristic of Jesus is that he seemed to be able to take notice of people that nobody paid attention to. He looked at people in a way that no one else looked at them. He saw people through eyes that no one else looked through. It is a remarkable characteristic of him. In fact, this whole account begins with the fact of Jesus noticing. Verse 1 starts, as that as Jesus was walking along, he saw a man that, is blind, that was blind from birth. Now, you may not think that's such a big deal, but I think it's huge. He noticed. He noticed someone who had virtually become invisible to everybody else. We know that because after he is healed, then he goes back to his family and he's seen and his neighbors and they're all wondering, isn't this the guy who used to sit begging? And some say, no, he isn't. And some say, yes, he was. They, they, he had become invisible to them. They had walked by him day after day after day, maybe thrown a few coins his way and moved on. For all intents and purposes, he had become invisible to them. They, didn't, they were his neighbors and they didn't even recognize him. Jesus did. We're told that his neighbors and those who had formerly seen him begging asked, isn't this the same man who used to sit and beg? And some claimed that he was, and others said, no, he only looks like him. He had become invisible to them. At least the disciples noticed. They see this man, and it raises questions for them. Rabbi, who sinned? This man or his parents that he was born blind. Now the question that they are asking is the very same question that we, we usually start with when it comes to suffering and sickness. Why? It's just another form of the question, why? What caused this? We have to find someone to blame or, or something to blame or something to, to, to give an account for it. And it has its roots in this Hebrew concept of shalom. Peace. Which, which is a bigger word than just peace. It, it, it's a word that describes wholeness. A wholeness of body, soul, and spirit. There was no distinction made in Hebrew understanding between the body and the mind and the spirit. They were all one. And shalom meant a wholeness about all of our life together. And wholeness in community with each other. And so when they see a brokenness, a breaking of that wholeness, there's got to be a reason for it. And it's something, it's the same question that we ask today. The problem is, it all got reduced to a formula. Sin equals suffering, suffering equals sin. And, and it became almost a divine determinism. If someone is suffering, it's their own fault. They must have done something. Somebody must have done something to cause this problem. Because... There is no wholeness. There is no shalom here. And that's the problem. When we reduce things to a formula, we forget to look at people. And so the question that the disciples asked, it's a good question. It's not the best question. But it's a question that we always start with. Why? Why is this happening? One of the things that we have found, as we have become more knowledgeable in things of science is that there is really a connection between body, soul, and spirit. We have found that there are connections between 
our physical activity and our sense of well-being. And we know that overly stressful situations will have a physical impact in us as well. That we are whole beings. And so they're not completely wrong. What they have missed though is they've reduced things to a formula and they've forgotten the person. They've asked an important question, but they haven't asked the best question. Because the deeper question is, does God still care? And the truth of the matter is, when it comes to our illnesses and our sickness and our suffering, that's the question we really want answered. Does God see? Does God care that I'm hurting? And in Jesus, we find the answer. And the answer is a resounding yes. God does care. We see in Jesus this compassion like we see in no one else. In fact, the word most often used in connection with Jesus when it comes to healing is this word compassion. You see it over and over again. Matthew 14, 4. When Jesus saw the large crowd, he had compassion on them and healed their sick. Mark 1, 41. Filled with compassion, Jesus reached out his hand and touched the man. Luke 7, 13. When the Lord saw her, his heart overflowed with compassion. Over and over again, when Jesus looked at people, he saw them through eyes of compassion. And so when we ask the question, does God care? Is it really okay to pray and ask God for healing? The answer is yes. Go ahead and ask. Because He is a God of compassion. And the ramifications for that, for us as His community, as members in His kingdom, is then to walk in the footsteps of our rabbi is to develop a heart of compassion. And that takes work. Because we get really good at not seeing. (laughs) We do really well at passing by and not paying attention to the needs around us. Sometimes we do it just because we're simply too busy. We've got things to do, places to go, people to see. Sometimes we avoid looking because we know if we look, something's going to be required of us. And to develop a compassionate heart is simply to start looking and paying attention to the needs of those around us. Whatever those needs might be. Now be prepared, by the way, because when you start noticing and start paying attention to needs around you, it's going to grab your heart. It is going to change your heart. It can't not. Developing a compassionate heart. That's only the first step. After developing and working and and paying attention and, and learning to nurture a compassionate heart, then the second part of it is to start reaching out. To reach out with a caring touch. Compassionate hearts have to be matched with tender hands. Have you ever noticed, by the way, as you read through the gospel accounts, how much attention seems to be paid to Jesus' hands? It's been said that we are told more about Jesus' hands than any other spiritual leader in human history. (laughs) Again, as often as you see this this phrase, he was filled with compassion, you also see this this reaching out and this touching. Luke 5.13, then there are lepers who come to them. Jesus reached out his hand and touched the man. Now you don't touch lepers, they are unclean. And yet Jesus reaches out and touches. Peter's mother-in-law is with fever and very, very ill. And it says he touched her hand and the fever left her. Jesus kept touching. Now, I think that's significant. 
Because Jesus had powerful words to speak and people listened to him. And he had a commanding presence and authority about him that people just couldn't stop paying attention to him. He spoke powerful words. words. He had a commanding presence. He, he did incredible, miraculous deeds. He could simply have spoken and anything would have been accomplished. And yet he chose to touch. And I think there is a lesson in there for us. In sports, in baseball, particularly infielders, if a good infielder, if, if, if someone is a very good infielder, one, in, good infielder, one of the things we say about them is they have soft hands. It means that they have a, a certain ability and skill to, and fluidness to, to pick up the ball and fire it over and make the play. They, they don't have hard hands where the ball bounces off it. There, there's a skill and an ability. We talk about someone who has an artistic touch. They just have a, a skill and an ability about them. Talk about someone who was a gardener, who was very successful at it, as having a green thumb. And all these have to do with this idea of skill and ability and, and finesse and smoothness about it. But more importantly, there's something even deeper about this touch. Because touch represents a tangible mercy. It represents hands-on. We're told in the story that as it goes along, Jesus spits on the ground, makes some mud from the saliva, and he put it on the man's eyes. There's something intimate about that. Something very, very personal. Now, if you read that, and that seems just kind of strange, like spitting on the ground, and what's, what's the mud? You know, what? It is a very tender and intimate touch. Remember when your mom used to lick her thumb and kind of wipe off your face? Am I the only one whose mom ever did that, you know? Now, you wouldn't let your dad do that, but mom could get away with that, you know? No one else could. No stranger could come up, lick their thumb, and kind of wipe your face. But mom could do that. Why? She just had a touch about her. It's personal. It's intimate. And I think there was something about that in Jesus, just kind of, you know, licking his thumb and mixing it with a little bit of dirt and a little bit more and making just a little bit of mud and then smearing it on the man's eyes. There's something incredibly personal and intimate about that. It's powerful. And, and, and there's an earthiness to it too, just a simplicity about it. And it almost brings to mind the act of creation where God takes out of the dust of the ground and forms a human being. He is almost reenacting creation all over again. It's earthy, it's simple, it is intimate, it is personal. And I think that's at the heart of what Jesus is doing. He is modeling for his disciples this sense of being hands-on. Being personally involved in the hurts of others. Mother Teresa, when asked about her ministry to, to, to the lepers in Calcutta, and, and particularly those who were the outcasts, she said, you know, we have drugs for people with diseases like leprosy, but these drugs do not treat the main problem, the disease of being unwanted. That's the need we hope to provide for. The sick and the poor suffer, from more than re suffer even more from rejection than from material want. Loneliness and the feeling of being unwanted is the most terrible of poverties. And I think she is echoing 
what Jesus was doing. Personal touch. To touch is to become personally involved. And that is, by the way, the exact opposite of the Pharisee's attitude. This man is healed. He is seen now, even though he had been born blind, he is able to see. And he goes to the, they take him to the Pharisees. And the Pharisees' first reaction is, this man who healed you, he's not from God. He doesn't keep the Sabbath. It's like, hello? <laughs> There's somebody standing in front of you that used to be blind and now he's seen. And the only thing you can think about is this guy who healed him can't be from God because he did it on the Sabbath. He, dis- he just disrupts their comfort level. He disturbs their preconceived ideas. He gets in the way of what they expect. And they don't know how to handle it. They can't accept something for what it is. It just, it just goes against what they really want and what they really believe. In fact, they get so frustrated with, with the whole situation, they go to his parents and they ask his parents, okay, you tell us the truth because this guy has, has got to be lying to us. You tell us, what, is this your son? Was he born blind? How is it that he sees? And they know that if they answer, they're going to get thrown out of the synagogue. So even his own parents are, ne- are just hesitant to get too involved. He's of age. Go ask him yourself. He can speak for himself. So they go back to the man. And again, he disrupts their thinking. And finally, he, they just so disturb, he just so disturbs them, they can't put up with it. And it says eventually, they say to him, you were steeped from sin at birth. How dare you lecture us? And they threw him out. Because of their preconceived ideas, because of their discomfort level, they couldn't even look at a guy after he had been healed. And they forgot, this is a life here. This is a person. The ramifications for us as a church is to stay connected. To be involved in the lives of those who are hurting. To do what we can. And each of us has something to offer to help ease the suffering. When my nephew was diagnosed with bone cancer at the age 13, and it was a three-year grueling journey until he finally died from that at age 16. And I remember my sister and brother-in-law talking about it. Through those three years where looked hopeful and then discouragement. And then advance and then a setback. And it looked like everything was coming and he was being healed and then not. And this up and down roller coaster ride that went on for three years. And all the emotions attached with that. How powerful it was for them to have friends and family came alongside and just did what they could. They had a friend who just came over and mowed the lawn. <laughs> said, that's not a big deal. It was huge. Because when they were going back and forth to hospital appointments and had no time just to take care of the basic stuff of home, someone mowed the lawn for them. There are some of us in this room that I truly believe have gifts of faith and healing and have a strong belief in God's healing touch and God uses you 
to help bring that about in people's lives. That is vital and necessary. Not all of us have that gift. Many of us, probably most of us, I would say, do not. But each of us can do something to help alleviate the suffering and the pain of those who are ill. 1 Peter 4.10, Peter tells us, each of us should use whatever gift he has received to serve others, faithfully administering God's grace in its various forms. You stay connected. You reach out and touch. And there are some in our church who are part of the healing profession, doctors and, and, and nurses and, and hospice caregivers. What you do is God's work. When you reach out in that way. And there are those of us who make meals and bring them to families who are dealing with serious illnesses. And when you do that, you are doing God's work. You see, he says, each of us should use whatever gift we have to administer the grace of God in its various forms. So you may not be one who is big on praying for healing. But there's other things you can do. Use the gift that you have been given. Each of us can do something. And thirdly, most importantly, always maintain a redemptive focus. Always keep the eternal in mind. The disciples ask the question, and the question they ask, who sinned, is really looking towards the past. What caused this problem? Who can we blame? It's looking backward. And Jesus' answer to them is just the opposite. Jesus' answer is about the future. He is looking forward. It says, it isn't because this man sinned. It isn't because his parents sinned. This happened so that God's work could be shown in his life. That there was a redemptive purpose to all of this. That what God had in mind, however he did it, what he had in mind is that the power of God and the glory and the mercy and the grace of God would be displayed in this man's life. And instead of looking backward to the past and trying to find out why, Jesus said, start looking forward. Look forward. Beyond your own personal agendas. Beyond our own personal agendas when it comes to the aches and pains and the, and the, and the, and the illnesses of life. Maybe the better question to start asking ourselves is, how can this suffering be used or be turned as an opportunity for our own growth or for God's glory or for service and ministry to other people? How could my suffering, how could my illness, how could my struggle be of some benefit to somebody else? I think that's the better question. It gets us far beyond our own agendas because something far greater is at stake. And that's why you notice Jesus, after all of this happens and all the interview, and he's finally, this guy is thrown out of the synagogue. Jesus follows up with him. Because the healing was not the only thing that Jesus wanted to do for this man. And so when Jesus heard that he had been thrown out, he went and found him. He said to him, do you believe in the Son of Man? And he says, how can I? I don't know who he is. Jesus said, you've seen him now. In fact, he's the one speaking with you. And the man answered, Lord, I believe. You see, there was something far greater at stake. 
Not only did this man need healing from a physical blindness, there was a spiritual blindness at play here too. And Jesus healed both. By the way, those who refused to acknowledge the physical healing also remained spiritually blind. Jesus cared about both. He took both seriously. He will not play games with your life. He does not do that. There is no magical formula to this. There is no claim that you can make that guarantees ironclad there's going to be healing. There is a mystery to it all. There is. But God is still at work. When we reduce things to, to, to a magical formula or something else, we, we lose the personal touch. When, when we were at this church in Oregon, my first ministry position, and uh, there was kind of a group of people that were kind of into the, the name it, claim it, you know, God wants you healed, don't settle for anything less, you know, just claim it. And, and, and you know, we had some friends, you know, and I just, you know, I had a hard time with this whole thing. And, and, and one of them came to church one Sunday morning just looking miserable. I mean, he had the flu like no one has ever had the flu ever before, I think. It just... He just looked horrible. He's just runny nose, just achy, fevery, everything, just miserable. And you could tell he was miserable. And I said, what are you doing here? You're sick. He said, no, I'm not sick. These are just the symptoms. <laughs> well, the symptoms look awful. Go home, you know. <laughs> we end up playing these crazy, convoluted kind of games with God. Yeah, I'm not sick. God has healed me. I've just got the symptoms left over. Well, you know, I hate to tell you this, but you're sick. Admit it. But, uh, you know, that's how we get, we get crazy about this stuff. And I think we're far better served. And God's kingdom is far better served. If we would simply say, Lord, I ask for your healing. But should you choose not to, my greater gift would be your kingdom my greater goal would be that you be honored in this you see christianity is an asp- is a, is is a, is about faith <laughs> but it is also about hope we live in the now and not yet kingdom of god it has come but it has not fully come and what is is not what will always be And what will be has not yet fully come here. And so we live in between. And that's the mystery of all of this. And some are healed and some are not. And I believe God's healing work continues to this day. And I truly believe that he intends to do that through his church body. We are the extension of his kingdom in this world. And we need to be people with compassionate hearts. And people with tender Gentle, loving touch. And people that always remember, we live in a kingdom that is not yet fully here. And so we have faith in our God. But we also have hope that someday it will all make sense. Jesus said, as long as it is day, we must do the work of him who sent me. Night is coming. When no one can work. And that applies to us today. While it is still day. We. Must do the work. Of him who sent him. Because a day is coming. 
when night has come and no one can work. Believe me, I do not understand by any stretch of the imagination all of this healing stuff. But I do believe this. I do know that we serve a compassionate God who has given us the freedom, in fact, the encouragement to ask. He says, just ask. Just ask. And he reaches with his compassionate touch and he invites us to participate in what he wants to do in this world. Would you bow your heads with me? In our search for Jesus, what we discover is a compassionate healer who invites us to join him in bringing his kingdom to this world. And when the church acts with compassion and when the church extends hands of comfort and mercy and ministers help and care and prayers of healing, we are doing kingdom work. He invites us to ask. Not because we deserve anything or necessarily because our faith is great or that we know the right words to say. He just says simply, ask. Because we know that He is good. We know that He is compassionate. We know that He is powerful. At the close of our time together this morning, we're going to give you, if you have a need for healing, a time for prayer. We're just simply going to ask. Because I know for some of you here this morning, this is not an intellectual exercise. <laughs> this is very real. Because maybe this last week or so, you received a diagnosis. Or you've gone in for some tests and you haven't gotten the results back. So we're going to go together and we're going to ask. But as we close right now, can we together as a church agree to offer him hearts of compassion and offer him our willing hands for use in his kingdom and say Lord however I could be a part of extending your healing grace use me Lord we confess our ignorance and we also understand there is a mystery to all of this that is beyond our full understanding ever. But we do know your heart of compassion and we do know your healing touch and we do know that you have a grand eternity in mind for us all. So to that end, we commit ourselves to your kingdom, to following in the footsteps of our rabbi whose heart was moved whose hands reached out and touched, who brought to this world the kingdom of God. We offer ourselves to you, however you would use us. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Let's stand together.
Thank you for listening to this week's message. We trust that you'll join us again soon for another uplifting message from Northgate Christian Fellowship located in Benicia, California.